This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. But the British government failed. The Russian government failed. The Japanese government failed. The German government failed. And the United States of America government, when it came to treating her citizens of Indian descent fairly, she failed. She put them on reservations. When it came to treating her citizens of Japanese descent fairly, she failed. She put them in internment prison camps. When it came to treating the citizens of African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of high education and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God bless America. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God America's chickens! Coming home to Rooster. Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And thank you for being with us tonight here on September 18th, 2021. This is our 74th episode of Our Common Ground in Season 2021. We're glad to have you with us, and tonight... At Our Common Ground, we're going to be digging deep, the deep dive into uh, our oppression. And we're focusing in this episode, the Attica Massacre, 50 years later, America's human rights crisis continues, and we are so pleased to have with us Tonight, our guest, uh, Brother Max Parthas, who is joining us once again, and we welcome him back, and Brother Yusuf Hassan, 
from Abolition Today and New Abolitionist Radio, and we are going to be exploring the notion, the bridge between prisons and the state of slavery in America. You know, Attica never ended. In September of 1971, an uprising by the incarcerated incarcerated men of Attica, which is a maximum security prison located in western New York, ended in the bloodiest attack by state authorities in United States history. On September 9th, 1,300 incarcerated men had rebelled due to inhumane prison conditions, taking over the prison and holding 40 guards hostage. For those of you who would like to join us in our chat room, you can do so by coming to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG. And most of the people in our audience know my history with the Attica Massacre. As a student and a student representative of the Fortune Society, I was at the Attica prison for the three days prior to the uprising. Uh, the Fortune Society, for which I was a uh, representative and a member, was one of the observation groups at Attica, negotiating the demands, overseeing the discussion with officials, both state and corrections, well, state and corrections is the same thing. Uh, I never... The first day I was inside the prison, but after the first day, um, only the observers were allowed. And with me was a man by the name of David Rothenberg, a man by the name of Charlie McKisson, a man by the name of Eugene Rivers. Eugene Rivers and Charlie McKesson had been prisoners at Attica and were negotiators from the Fortune Society, which was located, which is located in New York City and still doing work. And um, it is something that is embedded and emblazoned in my life. And one of the things I always say on this broadcast, if you love black people, if your if your life's work is about the liberation of black people, you cannot exclude our brothers and sisters who sit in the pits of evil in the American prison system. You cannot exclude them. Uh, we we have a real hard time, and I, I hope with my guest 
that we'll get to talk about some of it. And for some reason, I had a I had a clip uh, with T- Tony Larkins, who is one of the survivors of Attica, talking about his experience on that day. And I don't know what happened with my opening. It was in my opening, and then when the opening played, it wasn't in my opening. But I'll tell you one of the things that strikes me that he always says. Uh, And I travel with the Fortune Society all over this country, speaking at colleges and universities, talking about prison reform, talking about acknowledging the humanity of people who end up in our prisons. And one of the things that Tony Larkin said, that Attica was really an ignition in a time where black people were proclaiming to be young, gifted, and black. Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And that wasn't just among black people who were in in in, in colleges and universities and black people were uh, who were going to work every day. It was for working poor black people. It was for black people in the Mississippi Delta living in the in the kind of impoverishment that most of us would not believe existed in this country. And it also was for our brothers and sisters in Rikers, in jails all over this country, who had been victimized by police brutality and taken off to the government plantations. And that's why we need to talk about abolition. So I'm I'm hoping that you will engage with us uh, tonight because this is so important. Attica has never been over. I call it the Attica Prison Massacre. It was an uprising. It was a riot. But who was rioting? The state was rioting, but it was the bloodiest prison riot in the United States history and is one of the best-known and most significant flashpoints of the abolitionist movement and the prison rights movement. The revolt was based upon prisoners' demand for better living conditions and political rights. And the, and the declaration that was issued to the state, Elliot and, 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 and offered and presented by Elliot Barkley, He said on that day as the rebellion began, we are men. We are not beasts and we do not intend to be beaten or driven as such. The entire prison populace, that means each and every one of us here, have set forth to change forever the ruthless brutalization and disregard for the lives of the prisoners here and throughout the United States. 
He went on to say, what has happened here is but the sound before the fury of those who are oppressed. We will not compromise on any terms except those terms that are agreeable to us. We've called upon all the conscientious citizens of America to assist us in putting an end to the situation that threatens the lives of not only us, but of each and every one of you as well. And it ended. Incarceration rates and the American prison system demonstrates that slavery exists in this nation. And we need to talk about how we must operate in the spirit of abolitionists who have come before us. We all should be abolitionists. Until the continuing existence of slavery in America is ended, the nation's prison camps and our neighborhood streets will continue to be the largest plantations ever seen on this planet. And it's such a great honor to have with us two abolitionists who are actually doing the work. And right after I share this with you, we'll be talking with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan about Attica and what it meant and about abolition. So, something has happened here, and I'm not sure what has happened here. They have a list of what they call practical demands. Just about every one of them have to do with the improvement of prison conditions. This is not a riot of prisoners who are seeking to escape. It is a riot of prisoners who are eminently practical and who are spelling out conditions which they feel should be improved. We want to apply the New York State minimum wage law to all state institutions. We want to stop to slave labor here. We want to allow all New York State prisoners to be politically active without intimidation or reprisals. We want true religious sanctity. We want to do our own thing in this place. Number four, in all censorship of newspapers, magazines, letters, and other publications coming from the publisher. Five, allow Bill Kunstler and I were talking to them, and Bill was more optimistic than I was. He felt that they were not going to come in shooting. But I told him, listen, my experience is when people have guns and tanks and tear gas, they're going to use it. He made a big mistake. He didn't go to them and say, listen, there are 500, 600 law enforcement out there. They're all being lied to. 
They all have this unbelievable amount of weapons. And if you don't agree, they're going to blow you away. No one told them that. And when the inmate mediator, William Kunstler, was turned away at the prison gate, he took that as a sign that the attack was imminent, that his two days of work to end this uprising peacefully had failed. What did the guard tell you? He said he had just received orders that no one but uniformed personnel would be permitted in. Why do you think that they're not letting you in, Mr. Counselor? I think they're killing people. 5 a.m. September 13th. We're on the roof of A Block, waiting for the assault to begin. This is a team of 270 rifle shooters. Your instructions are that your weapon is not to be taken, nor are you to be taken. You're to meet force with force. There have been uh, some of the prison personnel severely injured here this morning, and we certainly don't want to see any of our people hurt. started shooting. It was like all hell broke loose. And the shooting just seemed to go on and on and on and on and bullets were hitting all around and you could hear people crying and you could hear people dying. And uh, it was just like they indiscriminately shot everyone. are years later when we learn that not one of the hostages, not one of the guards in that prison yard was killed by any inmate. Every one of them, contrary to the reports that were made by the media on that day, every one of them was killed by friendly fire. Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, thank you so very much for joining us. Good evening. Good evening, and thank you for having us. Hey, Sister Graham. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back. Uh, I've had some fond memories and powerful conversations here with you. Yes, we have, uh, Brother Max. Yes, we have. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to start off by talking about what I consider, you know, Attica is a very painful thing still for me, 50 years later. Um, um, On last week, after I had read some letters that I had from some of the... um, some of my comrades from the Fortune Society, which were all people at that time who were ex-cons. 
uh, Charlie McKesson had 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 done a bit in uh, Attica uh, for um, manslaughter. Uh, Eugene Rivers had done a bit for manslaughter, and they really are the people that I travel most with. And I found myself, uh, and I do need to share this. I, I found myself smelling. Attica, and every year I go through this. Just the 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 stench, the stench. Every prison smells. Mm. But um, this was a different kind of prison. Yusuf, let's start talking about what Attica really means in this country, and whether or not people have forgotten what happened there, and the meaning of what happened there. Sure. Uh, thank you, Janice. Uh, you know, as I was thinking about Attica, you know, which we know was uh, 1971, but that really came on the heels of what was happening on the outside of the late 60s when we start talking about the Watts riots and the riots all over the country that occurred in 1967 and in 1968, and then Nixon uh, announcing uh, drug abuse as the as public enemy number one. He made that announcement on July 17, 1971, and then we know with the murder of George Jackson on August 21st, 1971 and everything that happened with the San Quentin Six. And it sort of was sort of like Attica was like the last straw. You know, as, as things were starting to build up everywhere, as as uh, we heard in that documentary, we didn't hear it on this clip, but it's mentioned in the documentary, one of the lieutenants or captains, he said, you could feel the tension, you could feel everything building up. And that's what was happening. And... You know, it got to a point where that everyone was just fed up and they had the mindset that, look, we'd rather be dead than go through what we're going through here. And so Mm -hmm. these brothers united amongst themselves and they said, we're going to go all out and they're going to meet our demands or we're going to deny or we're going to die trying. And we want to be the example for everyone else that's being oppressed all over the country. So that's that's sort of like the mindset that they had. Mhm. Mhm. Uh, two weeks before um um the t- takeover happened. I was mm-hmm. at Temple University making a presentation on behalf of the four, we always uh, students. And one of the things that struck me was Charlie McKesson would always ask the question, how many of you have family members in prison or in jail? Mm-hmm. Or were in prison or were in jail. And out of all those kids, 
Temple University, not mm-hmm. one hand went up. And, and so it, it, it always occurred to me that with the experience that we have as a community, how we could have allowed the kind of deterioration, because, you know, even, even Malcolm, when Malcolm came out of prison, a pretty decent prison as compared, um, we, you know, you wonder how we tolerated the kind of conditions under which our brothers and sisters were being imprisoned. Um, and it takes me into that. Max, I know you were around during that time. You were a student activist. And 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 then just a, it just I just raised the question about how in our communities our jails and our our prisons existed in such horrible conditions, and a lot of people weren't talking about it. Max, are you there? Yes, I'm here. I'm listening Uh, to you. Yeah. Uh, My question is, to what extent were we willing to tolerate our people being imprisoned in that way under those conditions? History is a synonym. It's the same crap smelled differently. Mm-hmm. Um, what we saw in Attica nearly happened in 2017 as well. Uh, but rather than blowing it off the lid, they uh, organized a nationwide prison slave labor work strike uh, that included like 24 states involved in it. The conditions that the prisoners or those who we deem prisoners, because not everybody who is behind bars or in a cage has ever committed any crime. Um, 95% of all cases and any plea bargain. Keep that in mind. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily mean that these people have done anything at all. We know America is fully capable of railroading people, of being racially biased, of using forced labor and having that as an impetus for doing things. The conditions okay. that we okay. see in places like right now, like in Alabama, is an example, right? Alabama has uh, been investigated by the Department of Justice, and they've determined that there are Eighth Amendment violations happening all over the damn place, uh, where men are being tortured, brutalized, raped, murdered, living in conditions that a dog, if you had your dog living like that, they would arrest you and put you in jail. Um, And we allow it. It's happening right now. This is not 1971. I'm I'm talking about right now it's happening. And we have always allowed it because the transition from slavery, chattel slavery, to convict leasing and prison slavery uh, very much included an indoctrination process where Mm -hmm. they convinced us that we had been freed, but Frederick Douglass called it being half free, half slave, and that's just not a condition for someone to be in. So we see ourselves today under the same conditions, and the boiling is happening. The pot is bubbling. 
But again, we're trying to direct it into something very constructive. Through the abolitionist movement, we managed to end slavery in three states through their constitutions. We're still working on the physical aspect, but it's no longer legal in three states. And we also have a bill on the table right now, joint resolution on the federal level to create the 28th Amendment. And we expect to get that voted on in 2022. The 28th Amendment will nullify the exception clause of the 13th Amendment. So, yes, those conditions still exist. Yes, at any minute, this could happen again. It's always been that way. I don't remember a time when it wasn't that way. Um, But we're going to try to direct a lot of this energy into making a permanent change and not get temporary concessions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, When we talk about the abolitionist movement, I am always mindful that our prisons, and I've been I've been in a lot of prisons. I not in the last twenty years, but <laughs> when I was a prison reform activist, and that was the um, that was really the focus of my service in the Black Panther Party. Uh, that. Our prison system is modeled on the same system in which slavery operated in this country for hundreds of years. The only difference at this point is that we have corporations who are benefiting far more than plantation owners ever benefited from slavery. But the, 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 the average person, especially the average black person, doesn't tend to think about that system in the same way that we think about the system of the U.S. shadow slavery system. And, and 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 in this conversation tonight, what I'd like to do is to have people walk away thinking differently because the bridge is there. As long as we have a government-funded slavery system in our jails, and in our prisons. I mean, we're talking about a government-funded system. And I hate to say this, and people are going to be angry at me, and they're going to send me all kinds of crazy email. Send it on. But (laughs) for those of you who are parents out there with children in public school, you got some need for abolition as well, because we have law enforcement, police, and paid-for cops in our school system. Let's talk about that. The school-to-prison pipeline, for instance, where even from as young as kindergarten, we're already being racially profiled and treated in uh, different ways just for the color of our skin. 
which leads up to more suspensions in school, which leads up to juvenile detention facilities, which leads up to prisons, and you don't finish your schooling. I think it's like 60% of those who go to juvenile detention facilities never finish high school, and many of them end up in prison. It's a net that's cast out because there's an incentive. It's a cash incentive for one thing. As you said, it generates quite a bit of money. In a city like New York, where they incarcerated Kudit Browder, they were charging the taxpayer $350,000 a year to torture that boy in a men's prison. So the incentive is certainly there financially, but also through uh, control of a certain population. And uh, you know, we all know what those certain populations are. Uh, so these are the weapons that they use, and they developed this so, so well since chattel slavery that it's become an economic development program, prisons and criminal justice, that is being copied all over the world uh, by some nations who don't have the same type of laws or rights that we maintain here and allow a lot worse uh, in other nations. Right now on the African continent, the largest private employer, a private employer there is a prison and security company called G4S on the entire freaking com, com, uh, continent of Africa. So for them, it's all about that money and it's all about control of a population. And it ends up being crimes against humanity because we're talking about genocide, Janice. We're talking about slavery. Yes. Like legal, real genocide and slavery. We were just talking the other day about how many people have been killed by police and prison personnel. Uh, on an average, according to the government's own records, it's like 1,200 people a year are killed by police, right? So that's 12,000 people in a single decade. In the prison system, it's nearly double that uh, when you include the murders uh, because of the lack of supervision as well as, uh, you know, the health issues that they allow people to die from. So we're talking like 36,000 people killed in one decade just by our criminal justice system. If that's not genocide, what the hell is? And every company in this country seems to be complicit in prison labor. Everywhere you look, somebody's using prison labor at 11 cents an hour. Right now in California, they are fighting fires, and some of them are dying, who are incarcerated individuals uh, fighting live fires for $2 a day. And when they die, they don't die as heroes fighting a fire and saving lives. In California, they die as inmates who were prisoners. And once you cross that line where you're convicted and you're a prisoner, nobody cares why you were convicted. You're a castaway. Mm -hmm. They just let your life be a, a casualty of the circumstances. And as you said in the very beginning, we can't do that because we're dealing with principalities and powers. Remember what Brother Barkley was saying? But at the end of it all, they hunted him down and shot him in the back as if to say, yes, we can, and yes, we will. Those are the people we're dealing with. So I, I was just looking at a picture from the Attica uprising at the end of it all where they had the men marching buck naked outside while everybody's standing around wearing gas masks and things like that. And it reminded me of what Frederick Douglass said. He said, the thing worse than rebellion is the thing that causes rebellion. Mm-hmm, hmm. mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's really interesting that you bring up that image. Um, uh, and, and, you know, 
in this episode of Our Common Ground, we're talking about a continuing human rights crisis in this country. And it extends from um, qualified immunity of police officers who murder American citizens. It extends to Rikers Island, where inmates have been denied their constitutional rights to hearings and courts and the reach of the judicial system that we somehow have corrupted to the extent that nobody benefits from it. And Yusuf, talk to us about how we begin to challenge this prison system, you know, in in that image, for those of you who have never seen it, at the end of the takeover and after the murder of more than even 23 prison um, employees, the inmates were forced to disrobe in the yard. And I could never put my mind, Yusuf, around that kind of inhumane because it, it, it speaks to a kind of evil mm-hmm. on behalf of people who have all the power and the control. Talk to us. So... You're absolutely right. Uh, the the intent is to show dominion over them, just to show that we have absolute control over you down to your naked skin, that we control everything within you, and we can kill you without uh, repercussions at any time we want to. That's mainly what they showed right there. And... We know that this traces back to the plantation. You know, when we're talking chattel mm-hmm. slavery, they could kill with impunity. They can punish. There were laws enacted to even protect that when it comes to the Casual Killing Act, that in the process of disciplining the enslaved, if they happen to kill them, the laws protected them from that. And so that carried over. Same thing happened when it, when it evolved into convict leasing, They worked people to death for if you were convicted for being a vagrant, meaning you just didn't have a job, you didn't have any money, you can be fined. They give you some outrageous fine that you couldn't afford to pay, and therefore you had to pay it off by being enslaved again and lose their records. They have no records of when you came in and that. 50 days you would have had to have done could turn into five years, and they were literally working people to death. They were able to beat them, brutalize them. All the same things that they did on the plantation, they were able to do during convict leasing. And, again, laws were enacted to protect them from this, the black codes. Then we had the Jim Crow laws. And all throughout history, laws have always been written to protect the brutalization of us, 
you know, even mm-hmm. when you were asking the question earlier about the schools, you know, in 1961, Kennedy signed the Juvenile Delinquency Act, and this sort of like paved the way to open, that paved the way for police to have interaction with minors. That started that in 1961, and then in 1965, uh, Johnson signed into law the Law Enforcement Assistant Act, where that opened the door for the federal government to be able to give funds to states and local communities for law enforcement to pay for more officers and to pay for prisons. So they've always enacted laws. Then we know Reagan had his uh, Comprehensive Crime Control Act in 84, which was also which was authored by Joe Biden, and we know the uh, Clinton crime bill in 94 was also authored by Joe Biden. You know, so they've always enacted laws to protect their brutalization and their criminalization of a race. And we know going back to Attica, on the heels of Attica, the first thing that Governor Rockefeller did, one of the first things he did was institute the Rockefeller drug laws, you know, which came on the heels of the 1971 uh, Nixon declaration of the war on drugs. Rockefeller enacted his drug laws. It started filling the prisons in New York. They started, they went from about 15 prisons at the time to where they had to build all kinds of prisons, these mediums, these minimums, and they turned the demands against the people. They said, okay, you want to have visits, you want to have phones, you want to have this, you want to have that. We're going to make these nice little pretty little mediums and minimum prisons all throughout the state, and we're going to pack them with the people. And that's what they did. And so when you ask the question, well, how can we combat this, we have to first come to the realization that what we're looking at is slavery. We were lied to about the 13th Amendment. I can tell throughout my entire life I was never taught the words of the 13th Amendment. It was always the 13th Amendment abolished slavery. And many people will probably say the same thing. That that's all they were ever taught. They never went to look at the 13th Amendment and read the actual words. Same thing with the Emancipation Proclamation. Never knew until I would say maybe about seven years ago that the Emancipation Proclamation only applied to 10 states. And it was a specific, it was a specific uh, group that it was talking about. And then many people who probably have never heard of Frederick Douglass's speech where he called the Emancipation Proclamation as a stupendous fraud because he went around the country and he looked and he saw what was going on through convict leasing and he said the Emancipation Proclamation is a stupendous fraud and that's what's been happening to the minds of the people in the country. We've been lied to, we've been tricked since 1860, well, really, really since we came in contact with a group of people we've been tricked and lied to, and it continues to this day. But people are starting to wake up and realize that, no, slavery still exists. You can ask anyone that's been in prison or that's currently in prison. They will tell you it's slavery. They won't mix their words. They won't call it any of these other synonyms that people like to call it. They will say it's slavery. You know, just recently, garbage collectors went on strike down in Louisiana, they were being paid like $10.25 an hour. They went on strike, then the state turned around and said, you know what, we'll start contracting this to prisoners and pay them $1.33 an hour. So that's their 
way of getting around it. There's so many companies that get away with this. You could you, you just can't imagine the amount of products that many people have around their house right now are made from prison labor. How many people for mm-hmm. 401k programs where the the stocks within their portfolio are prison stocks or there's stocks in companies that make their profits off of uh, prison labor. They don't even realize it. Even some of the things when you start hearing about made in America and made in the USA, some of these are prison companies that are making these products. And so we've been scammed and tricked. And the way to combat this is realize what is going on, support the efforts in your in your state and in the, across the country where we're moving to end slavery because that's when we can start bringing these human rights violations to the to the to the courts because right now the courts will tell you that their hands are tied because of the exception clause. They've done it in several cases, going all the way back to some of the earliest cases, like uh, uh, I'm trying to think. One of the earliest cases, the uh, slaughterhouse cases in 1873, or the, the uh, civil rights, uh, what was it called, the civil rights cases of 1883. These were five different cases. So right after the, the uh, ratification of the 13th Amendment, some lawsuits started coming early, and mm-hmm. the courts mm-hmm. were already saying we can't even touch it because of that exception clause to the 13th Amendment. So as long as that exception is there, the courts aren't going to be able to touch it, and that's why these things prevail and c- continue to go on within the prisons, these human rights violations. And then we turn in – we also have to look towards the the uh, evil that dwells within people. You know, if anyone's ever seen the Stanford Prison Experiment, it's a great uh, movie to check out. So you can see what happens when people are given absolute control over someone where no one's going to do anything about it. We, we, we saw it in New York. During uh, Giuliani's era, when it was no wrong that cops could do, and that led to Justin Volpe using his, uh, I think, a broken broomstick or something on Abner Lewima, you know, because yes. that was the mood of the police officers during that time. There was just like absolutely nothing we can do wrong. There's never going to be any reprisal, so we can just do whatever we want to do. And this is the mindset. As long as they know they can get away with it. They'll keep doing it. This is why cops violate people, because they know it's a 97% chance that this case is not going to go to trial. So I can plant evidence. I can lie in my forms. I can do whatever I want to do, because nothing's going to become of it. I have a 97% chance. So they love those type of odds. So mm-hmm. I know I was mm-hmm. long. I know I covered a lot of different no, things, no. but I'll definitely pass that the was ma- mic back to you. That was that was deep, brother Yusuf, because there are two things I want to go back to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, our subtitle at Our Common Ground is Transforming Truth to Power. Okay. And one of the things that we have to do in trying to achieve that mission is translate. Let's go back and talk about convict leasing. Mm-hmm. And if we translate convict leasing, which was slavery under another name, yes, ma'am. 
one of the things that we find, and this is why we need abolitionists, one of the things that we find today is that we have, and and it is most prevalent with black people and brown people, is that you have debt collect debt laws, which is another form of convict leasing. Because it is a matter of people going to prison and going to jail to satisfy the profit of prison, the prison industrial complex um, investors, which, and you know, I have to say, Yusuf and, and, and Max, that we've got to bend some fingers at some of these unions because the unions have a lot of say-so about how uh, employee investment programs are, are operated. And you have unions who will support the prison industrial complex because they are simply looking for a return for their membership. And I think that's very sad. So I want to talk about... Um, the, the the kinds of convict leasing that goes on today, debt collection and collectors. It is U.S. law that allows it. Uh, there are people who go about to debtors' go ahead, prisons. Right? You, you're talking about yes. debtors' prisons. Debtors' prisons anyway. were supposedly abolished, just like slavery was supposedly abolished. But don't pay some of those bills and see what happens, uh, and you'll end up behind bars. We've seen situations where they've sent SWAT teams after people uh, who owed a debt and not had, had committed no crime. So uh, you're talking about debtors' prisons. But convict leasing was, as you said, slavery by another name, but it was primarily uh, structured to exploit free labor. Uh, it still exists today. Here in South Carolina, you, you have women in a prison making Victoria's Secret at 28 cents an hour. Uh, we still have people who make McDonald's uh, uniforms who are in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are call centers. In California, where we have a bill to remove the exception clause there called ACA3, uh, they have 33 prisons with 70 factories built into the prisons. At one point in uh, one of the counties in California, uh, they declared that the commercial eyeglass industries in that county must purchase their frames from a uh, prisoner-run industry that they had with the factory inside the prison. So they're making eyeglasses in prison, the frames, and the commercial people are selling on the outside have to buy them. So they're forcing them to use slavery. So convict leasing still exists today where we lease out prison labor. And oftentimes the employer is paying minimum wage, but the prison takes out everything and leaves them with just pennies on the dollar. So if if they get $15 an hour for the employer, the prisoner might see 30 cents of that. Mm -hmm. But there's also another another, uh, aspect to it, 
and that is what the government is doing what the government does in all in in most states around free labor for men and women who do not ch- pay child support another yeah. form another it's way another to way go to Yes, mm-hmm. it's a net mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. to capture our people, and uh, the exception clause is what allows it to occur. And you know, turning truth into power, we can do that right now. If anybody's listening, all you got to do is on your phone, you can text "end the exception" as one word, "end the exception" to five two eight eight six, and fill out that little bit of information right there. It, it will immediately send a letter of support to your state representative, as well as your uh, Congress uh, person. So 52886, end the exception. Or you can go to endtheexception.com and fill it out there as well. Um, we have been getting a lot of support for that right now. It was introduced uh, and sponsored by Senator Merkley out of Oregon, who uh, has already gotten their bill uh, done to the point where it's going to be on the uh, ballot to vote to end slavery in 2022. So Senator Merkley there, and also Congresswoman uh, Nakima Williams out of Georgia uh, is the mm-hmm. co-sponsor. And now it's got like a dozen more co-sponsors. We mean to literally end slavery because slavery is legal and, and in practice right now. And we, we have got to change our minds about what we're dealing with because you can't reform a crime against humanity. You can't fix it. You can't improve it. You have to abolish it. That is the proper reply to a crime against humanity. And we understand that that's going to cause some problems. But history does repeat. And there was a time when they were saying, what we're going to do with all the black people if we let them go. It's the same thing they're saying right now. Uh, Probably Mm -hmm. close to three quarters of our prison population should have never seen a prison cell in their life. They should have been helped. They should have been uh, given opportunities to uh, beat the demons that were on them, like drugs and addiction. They should have been helped with poverty. All these different things could have prevented people from ever entering. So three-quarters of the inmates can walk free at some point. That's what we're hoping. But you can't do none of that. You can't do none of that. Mm-hmm. You can't expect justice. You can't expect fairness. You can't expect equality. And you damn sure can't expect reparations until you end slavery. As long as slavery is legal, nothing else matters because <laughs> it's all a lot. Yep. And something I'd like to add to that as well, uh, besides just the labor aspect, you know, there's just tons of money being made on just warehousing the people. Each state yep. posts their revenue. Max is really good at those numbers uh, all across the country. There's so much money being made just housing the people. It's sort of like stock or inventory. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. just the mere mm-hmm. fact of having someone that generates a certain dollar amount every year just for housing them. And that's not counting the number of people that are actually trafficked. There are currently there are about fifteen thousand people who are housed in a prison outside of their state through interstate transfers. This is human trafficking right here. So it goes beyond just the labor. There are other aspects that they're doing that, again, traces back to chattel slavery. They just reformed it. What we're looking at is the reform. This is why we say we don't want reform. We want abolition. 
Absolutely. If you're just joining us, you're listening to our episode um, where we're focusing on the Attica Massacre 50 years later and America's human rights crisis continuing. And our guests tonight, Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, they are co-hosts of Abolition Today and New Abolitionist Radio. Max is the uh, co-director of state operations at Abolish, Abolish Slavery National Network. He is an Our Common Ground voice and an internationally recognized spoken word artist and American slavery abolitionist. Youssef Hassan is... Um, on his first voyage at Our Common Ground, he is an abolitionist, a legal analyst, prisoner's rights advocate, an entrepreneur, a tech expert, a community developer, and a veteran. Thank you, sir, for your service in the USMC and screenwriter. So we're going to take a break, and we hope that uh, we can we will continue. Um, this call uh, I'm having a lot of problems on this board tonight And I don't know why uh, But we hope you'll stay with us If you'd like to join us in our chat room It's blogtalkradio.com Backslash OCG Thank you so very much uh, For joining us tonight with our guests Max Parthas Youssef Hassan Abolitionist leadership. 450 people fired over 4,500 rounds of ammunition, including uh, weapons with ammunition that's outlawed by the Geneva Convention, dum-dum bullets that exploded on impact. In the final hours of the revolt, led primarily by blacks, the inmates murdered nine of their white hostages. 28 convicts were killed by state troopers and sheriff's deputies who regained control of the prison. Prison officials told the press that the hostages were killed by prisoners who slit their throats. But they lied. Everyone who died that day was killed by state gunfire. Stay tuned and we'll be right back with more. Our society is only as strong as all its individuals. The United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. Thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. 
I'm all about that bass, about that bass, 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 bass. Right. we're not going to have boots on the ground, but now you got over a thousand soldiers. Mm. And they'll be uh, more. They're going to be more. You know why there's going to be more? Because they're going to start killing some of those that we've already pulled there now. Because exactly. if you can't get 30,000 Shiites to stand their ground and they're fully armed, just a thousand Sunni, and they drop their weapons, drop their uniforms, Drop the draws and run. What have you got? Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass. The Alpha Show. The Alpha Show. Fridays, 10 p.m. Just damn. Advanced political pushback. Talk radio on TruthWorks Network. Three Fridays. He's all about politics. 10 p.m. TruthWorks Network. (laughs) How do you wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health? It showed up in my life through one of my best friends. And we've been friends for over 30 years. One story at a time. If we would have known earlier, you know, we would have been more, much more supportive with her. Once I reached out to my sister, it got a little better. Once I told my mother, it got a little better. The more I talked about it, I felt it coming off. The healing is in me, and the healing in the journey can also be extended to others. It's our community and our mental health. Giving voice to what you're feeling is part of the healing. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. It's time to share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the U.S. Department. United States of America did not abolish slavery when it passed the 13th Amendment in 1865. What Congress and President Lincoln did was use the 13th Amendment to transform slavery into what is now known as the prison industrial complex. You can help end this evil institution by signing our White House petition by going to tinyurl.com slash in legal slavery and join forces with modern day abolitionists. Wear the red dress, wear the wings, shut your mouth, be a good girl, roll over and spread your legs. Yes, ma'am. May the Lord open. Seriously? What the actual... with the eroding of the right to protest in freedom and with uneven distribution of consequences from law enforcement. It happens when people we think are on our side when it comes to social justice simply don't show up. Or worse, shame us for taking action. It happens when we all look at each other and say, this 
can't last, right? Hoping that it will go away on its own. Meantime, the fascist bill militias. When fascism starts to feel normal, we're all in trouble. All the denial, either from fear or uncertainty, is not helpful. We are seeing the execution in America, not the plan. If America fails, the coming tyranny. A 12-week discussion series exploring the possibility, the potential, the now. Fascism in America. TruthWorks Network. Sneak preview. October 14th, live, 8 p.m. Truth must be spoken more than once. If America fails, TruthWorks Network. October 14th, 8 p.m. If America fails, the coming tyranny. Joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Tonight at Our Common Ground with Max, Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan of New Abolitionist Radio. The abolitionist leadership is with us tonight. Today, uh, this afternoon, um, I was honored to sit in on the memorial gathering for our friend, and Liberation Warrior Glenn Ford. If you did not get an opportunity to sit in, some heavy hitters were at Riverside Church today telling the truth about real warriors. Uh, We suggest it's on YouTube and you can um, uh, watch it on demand. There were some 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 powerful powerful tributes to uh Glenn Ford. The four words for tonight subjugation oppression gerrymandering redistricting look for it in your news look for it in news analysis this week. Don't forget that we are still living in a pandemic 
the surge of Delta variant of the COVID-19 SARS virus is still with us. We recommend that you wash your hands, that you keep six-foot distancing, and you insist on masks for yourself, your family members, and your children. Um, I did um, also note that on Friday was the would have been the 96th birthday of my friend Riley B.B. King. He would have been 96 years old. And today, if you can believe it, I, it's real hard to, I mean, getting, uh, aging is a, is a real process. It's been 51 years today Jimi Hendrix made his transition. 51 years. Is that, I, don't know if, I don't know about you, but wow um, is my response to that. And don't forget, tomorrow, Ken Burns, who I have a great deal of respect for his authenticity and his credibility as a historian, will kick off the his Muhammad Ali documentary on PBS at 8 p.m. And I got my popcorn and my ginger candies all ready. Also... <clears throat> The Global Feminist Reading Group will begin Session 16 on September 28th. That's a Tuesday, every Tuesday night. And in this session, the book is James Baldwin's Nothing Personal. If you'd like to join that book conversation, chapter-by-chapter discussion, you can email Our Black Story. Our Black Story at gmail.com. Um, and, and we're going to have later on in the program the producer, the senior producer of If America Fails with Us, L. Michelle Odom. You know who she is. She is the Our Common Ground uh, senior producer and administrator. And she's going to be joining us to talk about what's going to happen happen in the sneak preview. The series will begin in January 2022, but there is a sneak preview um, coming up on October 14th. Our guests tonight, and we thank them so very much. I don't know, Max, if you heard, um, if if you caught that old ad that I used to run. Absolutely, I did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I got to say, I appreciate you playing that because I believe that was like back in 2014 or 15 uh, when we were right. that it. And around the same time, I think it was like your 30th anniversary, and I was a guest, and I got to speak with Brother Matthew Fogg, the FBI whistleblower, and Nina Turner, uh, when she was running uh, the campaign for uh, Senator out of Vermont. Um, Bernie Sanders, Sanders right? yeah, for exactly. Bernie Sanders, the first, the first campaign, yeah, yeah. And, and um, Matthew, you know. Matthew was like, you're right, Max, I'm a slavery abolitionist too, and Nina not so much, <laughs> but she heard it, you know what I mean? 
but I, I yeah. just want to say. But she she gets it. She she gets. She I gets wish she it. would talk about it. I yep. wish she would talk about well, it more, but she gets. But uh, what I was saying is, I've been talking about this issue uh, as a singular thing now on radio for like this, I'm coming up on my ninth year, and I spent yeah. quite a few years with New Abolitionist Radio. But currently, I am producing my own program called Abolition's Day, and I, Yusuf is my co-host on that. It's at abolitiontoday.org. And as a matter of fact, last week uh, we focused on the Attica massacre. And I was so upset about the things, you know, that I had to relive and rehear over and over again. But there was some yep. stuff that really stood out for me. One is we always underestimate the type of devils that we're dealing with. You know, mm. the three people, for instance, would be like Nixon and Oswald and Rockefeller, right? Remember, they gave the orders mm-hmm. to kill. And when we talk about 43 people being dead in this event, let's break down how they died, right? So uh, 39 of them were killed in the raid, and uh, four were killed prior to the raid, three prisoners and one guard, right? But when they sent in the soldiers, they killed 29 people. Ten of them were the guards. They just killed ten guards along with 29 freaking inmates. And one of them hunted down Barkley and shot him in the back. But but let me me fill in on that story. The observers including Bill Kunstler. Now, Bill Kunstler was the spokesperson in the last two days before uh, the the yard was taken. And the, the observers had been meeting, and they had been begging Rockefeller. They had been begging for the governor to come to Attica, he refused, and he was at his estate in upstate New York sipping martinis because it was his intent as far as I'm concerned, and I was a witness to to nullify the negotiating team to lock Consular out because they knew that they were going to attack. Um, last week we listened to the Nixon tapes on our program, and we mm-hmm. heard him talking with the governor, telling the governor to show no mercy, to just murder people. I mean, he wasn't saying that literally, yes. but figuratively he was certainly saying that to the governor. No amnesty. Yes. Show no mercy. Absolutely. Just go after that. Right, yeah. and, and he and only so, cared so, that it was the blacks. He kept asking, "Was it the blacks yeah. who were killed?" The blacks. He didn't even wait for an answer. Really, he was like, "I know it. The blacks. This is how you got to do them." Uh, what did he say publicly? Uh, the way to deal with radicals is to kill a few. Now, this was the mm-hmm. same president enacted the drug uh, war, the war on drugs, right? And it was mm-hmm. also on the heels, as you said, as explained, of the Black Liberation Movement, the Black Panther Party. Uh, of the civil rights movement, all of this was coming on the heels of that. So white America, whenever we try to raise up and get some freedom, has a nasty habit of trying to kill us for it. Like they'll yes, bomb yes. little girls if we want to yeah. go to an integrated school. Uh, they'll shoot entire mm-hmm. cities up if we dare drink out of a water fountain or something like that. That's how they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so let's let's, let's talk about 
they showed that in Addison when they shot, when they fired 2,000 freaking uh, rounds and killed 10 guards as well as 29 inmates. Absolutely. That's how it went. Go ahead. Let's talk about why all of us need to begin to speak the language of abolitionists right after this clip. What would happen if they did not exist? If you wipe out the California Prison Industry Authority, you'd lose $62 million in personal income in the state. In Goldman, additionally, 560 jobs would disappear. Not counting those held by convicts and state civil service staff, Goldman found prison labor is also healthy for the private sector. Prison programs produce goods that in many states would otherwise come from outside the state while employing the private sector to supply raw materials. Uh, biggest prison products are food with 33 million in sales annually, fabric with 32 million, paper and wood, 30 million, and metal products, 22 million. This is the last part of this I'm going to read. You can read the rest on the audition. This the main goal of prison work programs is to provide a positive outlet to help inmates productively use their time and energy, said Frank Lasco, spokesperson for the Prison Industry Authority. Another goal is to instill good work habits, including appropriate job behavior and time management. That is such a crock of bull. Again, this is from 98. It sounds just like the letter we just read from 2011, and it sounds like the things we hear in 2015, soon to be 2016. It's all about how much money they can make off of these people's backs. They have no interest in uh, trying to uh, re, uh, bring people back into the community. And as far as these work programs go, what the hell makes you think that the people you're arresting don't already have a good work program? They already have ethics and values. What makes you think they don't? That really sounds very racist right off the top of the bat. All you lazy Negroes need to have some good work ethics, so we're going to make you work in prison just to show you how to get up at 6 o'clock every morning and stay at work every day. Because you know when that rap music come on, you want to dance. And whenever you feel those needs, you want to fall asleep. These are the narratives that we hear. California by itself, $150 million in sales from prison slave Labor. Now that's just California. There are what fifty other states as well as colonies and whatnot. So and that was in '98. It's much more now. Yes, it's much more now. And 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 to hit on what you were talking about in terms of how they try to sell this, uh, this is teach because they still use the same language today. Oh, this is teach giving them a job skill. This is teaching them how to be productive and and whatnot. Slavery. What does it take to become an abolitionist? Well, just recognize that the United States of America has never abolished slavery and that they put a loophole in the 13th Amendment and what people today are calling mass incarceration is actually a continuation of slavery. So that's all it takes to be. And then tell people, tell people that slavery is still being practiced and, you know, do whatever you can where you are using whatever talents, whatever resources you have to spread the abolitionist uh, message. And that's all it takes to be an abolitionist. That's it. That's it. You just got to change your mind. This is not an error in judgment. It's not mass incarceration. It's not policing for profit. It's not over-policing it's none of these things and all of those things. 
It falls under the umbrella of an ancient demon called slavery. And with that exception clause in the uh, late 1800s, it was allowed to continue, going directly to convict leasing in 1866. And we see the remnants of that here today with Unicorn, a $900 million a year industry based solely And now back to Our Common Ground. So Max and Yusuf, mm-hmm. here we are still trying to convince people that we need abolition. Talk to us. Um, you know, again, I'm glad you played that memory. Uh, we've been talking mm-hmm. about this for a minute. Uh, and somebody needs to nominate this brother for a doctorate, honorary doctorate, because I've been on this mission every week, week after week, day after day after day. And I can probably say to you now that enough people know. <laughs> like, we couldn't say that before. But we know it now. Like we have uh, accomplished epic Victory after victory after victory. We've exposed world-class criminals in front of the world. Um, and many, uh, mostly independent news outlets, talk about the 13th Amendment as if everybody knows. You know what I mean? Everybody knows. You know? So when right. we started back then, only a few people knew. Uh, so now let me tell you what the status we have right now at this point with the Abolish Slavery National Network. We have four states that have abolished slavery without any caveat. (laughs) That in itself is epic because there wasn't none before. We have nine with legislation on the table to do so by 2022 right now, and we may have as many as 15 because we're working with other states to get theirs ready in time. A total of 28 states in this union are involved in an abolitionist legislative push right now. When we did that clip back then, there wasn't none of that. And then Colorado abolished slavery, and boom, that was the end of it. And now we reach what we like to think is critical mass. We need help, but we're going to get this done. Don't doubt it. <laughs> you either going to be with us on this one or in the way. And please don't be in the way. Let's end slavery. If you have another priority that's more important to you than slavery or genocide, you can call in this number right here on the show and tell us all about it. I'd like to hear what is more important to you than ending slavery or genocide. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, Max, because, you know, uh, ACA3 was due up for a vote in uh, California this past week, and the idea of ending slavery in California was only important enough to be number 41 on the uh, agenda that day. It wasn't number one. (laughs) It was number 41. You know, so it seems that a lot of legislators are are far behind in that movement, you know, because I was was looking and up at the top in that assembly room, it says – yeah, it translates as it's the duty of the legislature to enact just laws. And I'm saying to myself, well, what could be more just than ending slavery in California? Like, how is it number 41 on the docket? It should be number one. 
end. They didn't even get to it that day. They tabled it for another day, you know. But definitely, yeah, shout out to Scotty Reed too, you know, <laughs> um, back in those days, man. Yeah, that's a good throwback right there. But uh, something else that was touched on, and you know, we say uh, qui bono, who who benefits? And you were you were throwing out some heavy numbers right there as to you know how how many how many jobs are going to be lost uh, when slavery is abolished? How many jobs are going to be lost in the prisons? How much money the prisons are going to lose? That's the pushback mm-hmm. from the other side because they listen. They had a great shell game going for so long that they were able to mm-hmm. take over chattel slavery, create a whole new system, and do it in plain sight. Traded on the stock market. Big businesses get involved in it. So many people are making money hand over fist. So many different industries from healthcare to food services to telephone services to monitoring to the court system. I mean, you just name it. It's so much money being made. And now there's the pushback. So, of course, they have even government agencies pushing back. Uh, towards us you know they have responses mm-hmm. like sort sort of like we're upsetting the balance and we know that this is usually what happens whenever you start making a push for change there's always going to be the pushback from those in the power you say speaking truth mm-hmm. to power there's always going to be a response to those that are speaking the truth it's a matter of do we have the wherewithal and the fortitude to withstand that pushback and we do well you know well, here, here is the here's the thing that I've been concerned about, Max and Yusuf, um, in the ushering in of the rise of white nationalism in state and federal government. Mm-hmm. What kind of complexities will activists have? in working with state legislatures like, you know, I'm down here in Florida stand, and the state mm. legislature here is simply a white nationalist government mm-hmm. governmental body. You've sure. got um, governors like Ron DeSantis. You've got governors like Greg Abbott. You've got you've got Republican governors who are working with Republican state legislatures. And what I have become very, very concerned about is to what extent that the era of Trump, which is not over, and the weakening of black political infrastructure across the country how is that going to hinder the abolition of slavery in this country? You know, I think we give uh, Trump too much credit because the era of Trump has always existed. It just has a name now. You know, it's the label Trump has been put on it, but this whole white supremacist power structure has always existed. You know, it's just being spoken about brazenly out in the open now. It's no longer subtle. Mm -hmm. It's no longer just like, uh, 
you know, something that's quiet as it's kept. It's just out in the open because Trump was just openly, blatantly racist about it. But all of his people came out of the woodworks, and we see what's going on all across the country. Uh, to answer your question. But I don't, think, I don't think we can minimize, I don't think we can afford to minimize the damage that has been done, nor minimize the portals that have been opened for those people who, you know, the MAGA Trumpers, whoever they are. Oh, ab- uh, yeah, who, absolutely. Who, yeah, I, I don't think we can. Yeah, absolutely. They made, it, they made it popular. You know, so those who mm-hmm. were covertly racist, you know, they feel safe in their racism now that they can come out and say anything and do anything that they want nowadays because they feel as though that there's a safe space that's been created for them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Man, we, we can't afford but, to but, ever but, underestimate them. Um, right. They at are all. deadly so, serious. At, at, at so all, with exactly. The abolition ne- with the national network, how can uh-huh. people begin to get involved? Uh, because well, I have renewed my involvement with the Fortune Society, but I have some concerns about what's happening there. It's not the old Fortune Society as I know it, as I knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still has the capacity for really solid reentry um, programs and for reform education. So, you know, that being said, but I, I think that one of the things that we have to do is to show people, and this is um, – urban progressive empowerment radio for activists. So how can people get involved in the abolition network? Um, yes. It's, well, the simplest thing you can do is go to abolishslavery.us, abolishslavery.us, and uh, join the mailing list there. Uh, we'll also be putting updates and events on the webpage. You can see videos of some of the events we've done. Uh, some of our members include descendants of Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and Booker T. Washington, who speak on our behalf. Uh, right now, uh, we are doing, I mean, we're fighting principalities and powers, and we're, we're winning and exposing them. It's the right time, you know, and if you want to support us, join the mailing list first so that you can be available for actionable information. Sometimes we need people to write letters of support or to even call in and testify through Zoom or telephone in their state as to why they want to end slavery in their state and how it might affect them and what they want out of that. Uh, So those opportunities arise often. You can also donate to us there. There is a donate link. We definitely need some money. We're trying to end slavery in 50 states, y'all, as well as federal. It ain't cheap. <laughs> and we need all the help we can do. You know what I mean? So uh, the, the enemy's pockets are unlimited, and they're fighting against us. There's no doubt about it. They're literally fighting against us. Part of the banning of talking about race in schools and slavery in school is because of what we're doing. On the very same day we announced that 28th Amendment, the Abolition Amendment, uh, on Juneteenth of this year, suddenly out of nowhere, the president announces that Juneteenth is a holiday in order to counter the narrative that we had just presented, that slavery hadn't ended, and we're here to end it. 
and suddenly it's a holiday to remember what? The day slavery ended. That's called uh-huh. double think. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's called double think, and it's confusing people. You know what I mean? Let's get our minds that's right. A, that's the translation, folks. That's right. Absolutely. You just, heard, you just heard a major translation of our journey and struggle. Juneteenth mm-hmm. was brought to you by the U.S. government um, and Joe Biden, Joseph Biden, the president, to offset, to offset. You know, one of the things that I loved about uh, Glenn Ford and uh, my colleague Bob Law and doing radio, they were always, they they had the insight and in the in the lenses on the offset. So June tenth was an offset. They took your shit. Excuse me. They took your stuff. Mm-hmm. And 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 they used it against you. Be careful. Oh, right. Be careful. You don't and, have and a um, um, a Floyd crime bill. You don't have the um, a voting rights bill that protects you, but you got Juneteenth. How, how, how about that? <laughs> and, and, and that and that's the pushback that I was talking about. That they always yeah. have a counter. So they knew that this twenty this proposed twentieth amendment was coming, so they had to come offset it. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. dealing with a tricky devil here. And there's, there's another thing. Here. There's another thing in New York. There are groups of abolitionists who are trying to close Rikers Island. Sophia mm-hmm. Elijah, who is a very good friend of mine, we have been friends for a long time, uh, who couldn't be with us tonight because uh, of the activities that she was uh, heading up. Uh, on the anniversary of um, the the 50th anniversary of the Attica massacre, and you know when when you talk to your when you talk to your people when you sit down on Sunday dinner, y'all need to be talking about Attica is not over. Right. It ain't never been over. So, and you need to be talking about abolition. Of all the people in America, and not all these white scholars and academicians and professors, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, who can tell you about the work of Frederick Douglass, you need to be beating them at their own game. You need to teach your children. Nat Turner. I named my second grandson Turner, honor of him. So we need, you know, I was thinking while I was listening to all of the speakers at the memorial for Glenn Ford and at Riverside Church today, y'all got to understand that we live in a country Wants that wants to erase us in any way that they can, unless they can make a profit from us. Hmm. 
and that means that you have you are being called as as Ron Wal- Dr. Ron Walters used to always say, you are being called to the ready. And another person used to say that all the time is Naeem Akbar, Dr. Naeem Akbar. Uh, Dr. Naeem. Yes. Um, Luther Weems. I have I knew I know knew Dr. Akbar when I was a kid and he was Luther Weems to me. Mm. But, um he used to always say you are being called to your liberation selves. Do not let another generation of black children be unaware, be unarmed. Mm-hmm. And you've got two brothers here, Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, who are willing to take the lead but they need they need soldiers. We all need soldiers. Give us uh your your URL for your radio show, please. If I might just give a quick plug. Tomorrow yes. you can find us right here on Blog Talk Radio at Abolition Today or you can go to abolitiontoday.org. At 7 p.m., our guest is going to be the Queen Mother of Benin, West Africa. She uh, is also a U.N. committee member and involved with the Durban Declaration, which is just uh, celebrated its anniversary on September 3rd. Uh, She's also a member of the Abolished Slavery National Network and one of our consultants and a good friend of mine. And we're going to have an African-centered conversation about this issue of slavery that has spread across the entire globe, just like it did before. So you can find us wow. there at abolitionday.org tomorrow with the Queen Mother of the New 7 what p.m. Time, Eastern, 6 Central. Yes. Okay. 4%. Okay. I'll be there. I'll be there. You know, Thank you very one much. of the things that the best thing that we can do for each other right now is help each other identify the slave catchers in our lives. <laughs> if you wear the uniform, if you're collecting the check, you're the one. Uh, yeah, ask you're any the cop one. you know. Ask any cop you know how many slaves do you need to catch to be a slave catcher? There it is. It's not a trick question. Now y'all bringing it now. Y'all bringing it now. <laughs> if you've ever incarcerated one person unjustly, even if it was a law that you felt was unjust, but you had to follow those orders, then you're a freaking slave catcher. That's right. That's right. And the slave catchers are black. They are brown. They are red. They are women. Don't be fooled. Do not be fooled. I just um, hope that we can join you tomorrow night. And um, Yusuf, it's been a, a real pleasure having you on this uh, your virgin uh, voyage at our conference yes. ground. It's just been wonderful to. To, to to have you with us. I think people need to be told raw truth. Raw truth. Oh yeah. I, you know one of listen, I, I, one of the things that 
one of the things that black activists have to learn, and I thought about this during the memorial for, for Glenn Ford today. I thought about this a lot, that I've been doing this stuff since I was 15 years old. I learned to take orders from black people when I was 15 years old. Mm. And one of the things that I have learned is how to survive betrayal. Mm. And it always comes from somebody that you trusted. Thank you. I'm I'm talking about black betrayal. How to survive, because black people, when you are working on behalf of them, will break your heart. Are you talking about Larry Elder right now? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I don't even, Larry Elder is another kind of of specimen. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about people who become careless and callous in their activism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, during the uprising after Martin Luther King was assassinated the night that um, I spent hours in a dumpster. You hear me? I was in the dumpster because of people being callous. Mm. I ain't going to tell that whole story because, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> but you said, <laughs> and Max, you're going to have to come back more often. Max, you've been gone a long time, and, and <laughs> you know, I, I knew you were facing a lot of challenges, and but yeah. I am so glad to have you back with us, and uh, maybe we can do this uh, every couple of months or so. <laughs> That would be that nice. You know, the, big, the biggest mistake the devil yeah. ever made was trying to kill me and not doing it, <laughs> you know? That's right. <laughs> yes, yes. So thank you so very much for being with us. We're going to um, move uh, into a special kind of thing. You know, I hope that you all can put together some kind of an agenda or uh, understand what we're doing over at, at my other channel, TruthWorks, because we're starting to, to talk about fascism. And we're using uh, the book and TV series, The Handmaid's Tale, because they have a fascist society, mm-hmm. a takeover of the United States in a fictional story. But what we doesn't even have us there. Thank you. Thank you. So one of the things that we're going to do is look at what happened to all the black people. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was 1984, huh? Yeah. Right. What what happened to all the black people? Whenever there's some type of dystopia, we're not included. Yeah. I'm going to put you on mute and invite you to come anytime you need us. You know that, Max. Anytime you Thank need you it. so much for giving us the opportunity to tell people yes. about this information. We really appreciate it. You well, always you, provide thank a you for, for us. Thank you for providing the training and education. Don't forget, God folks, bless. it's abolition. abolition today. 
abolitiontoday.org. Thank you. Thank you, my brothers. Thank you for having us. Peace to you as well, and be safe in your travels. Right now, we're going to move over, and thank you all again for, for being with us, to talk about what we're doing at TruthWorks Network. Um, as many of you know, TruthWorks is an additional channel over at uh, here at Blog Talk Radio for Our Common Ground Media. And Alpho is on medical leave, but he will be returning at some point. And I have been concerned that we're not using it, uh, maximizing the resources that we have. So uh, we're putting together some projects. And uh, El Michelle Odom is the senior producer for TruthWorks. And she's going to be joining us to talk about what we're doing, but listen up. Wear the red dress. Wear the wings. Shut your mouth. Be a good girl. Roll over and spread your legs. Yes, ma'am. May the Lord open. Seriously? What the actual... with the eroding of the right to protest in freedom and with uneven distribution of consequences from law enforcement. It happens when people we think are on our side when it comes to social justice simply don't show up. Or worse, shame us for taking action. It happens when we all look at each other and say, this can't last, right? Hoping that it will go away on its own. Meantime, the fascists build militias. When fascism starts to feel normal, we're all in trouble. All the denial, either from fear or uncertainty, is not helpful. We are seeing the execution in America, not the plan. America Fails, The Coming Tyranny, a 12-week discussion series exploring the possibility, the potential, the now, fascism in America. TruthWorks Network, sneak preview, October 14th, live, 8 p.m. The truth must be spoken more than once. If America Fails, TruthWorks Network. October 14th, 8 p.m. If America Fails, The Coming Tyranny.
And joining us now is a senior producer of If America Fails, The Coming Tyranny at TruthWorks Network. El Michelle Odom, thank you for joining me tonight. Look who I got in the house. I'm still awake. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody will note that all our Common Ground Media broadcast products are at 10 p.m., but Elle Michelle is a senior producer, and she decided that If America Fails is going to broadcast at 8 p.m., <laughs> and it's not really all about her <laughs> staying awake. <laughs> Tell us more about what's going to be happening on October 14th, Michelle. Uh, well, it's a, a sneak peek. Uh, we're going to, uh, so, so as you mentioned, we are, um, using the very popular Hulu TV series, The Handmaid's Tale, which is, um, based on the book, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood that was first published in 1985. And uh, Hulu started its series, I think, in 2017. So they've had four seasons. So on October 14th, um, we're going to try to bring everybody up to date uh, because uh, even though it's a very popular show, not everyone uh, knows of it or has Hulu or watches it. So we're going to um, summarize the four seasons uh, we'll play some clips. Uh, we also um, have uh, an expert uh, on The Handmaid's Tale that's going to uh, join us. Her name is Dr. Karen uh, Ritzenhoff, and she is the co-editor of a, um, of a volume that uh, brought together, I think, 23 scholars uh, who looked at different aspects of, of the TV show um, to write some analysis of what's going on there. And there's a lot that goes on uh, in the in the book and the show. Um, it does just depict a fascist society, a theocratic uh, fascist society. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because the show itself, it doesn't use a lot of the words. You never hear fascism. You never hear theocracy. You just see the behavior, the actions, and they're horrifying. Well, another important aspect of the, of the fictional story is that there is a civil war in the United States and a and and this fascist government takes over a number of uh, all of the New England states, and people are fleeing most, most to the Canada country. if they yeah. can't. Mo- yeah, most mm-hmm. of the country. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, the only holdout was Chicago. Right. Uh, and there is war going on in Chicago. But mm-hmm. the the society that is created as a result of that war is a fascist governmental entity called the Republic of Gilead. Mm-hmm. And Gilead mm-hmm. is 
built on white nationalism, uh, uh, freedom of oppression, of freedom, individual freedom, mm-hmm. and uh, the control of women, mm-hmm. the, a system of class. And it's really interesting that in the TV series, all the, the black people share in all the different kinds of uh, classes, um, mm-hmm. you know, as as maids in the homes of the commanders, and the commanders mm-hmm. make up all the rules, and there is a rigid system of religion and culture. And the really, so, uh, you know, I think important thing is that uh, when Margaret Atwood wrote the book, uh, back in the 1980s, she disciplined herself by not including any events that had not already occurred in human history. Um, yep. So it's fiction, but not really. <laughs> you yep. know, it is yep. it is a reflection of of uh, of of what the human being is capable of. And as the brothers earlier were saying, we cannot afford to underestimate the devils we're dealing with. And one thing white folks know, you know, long before they had us to beat up on, they were beating up on themselves. <laughs> you know, yeah, they, 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 they were horrible to each other. Yeah. So white folks have that deep in their bones. They know how far they will go. There is no limit. So, nope. you know, the fact that we are, are looking at what's happening in um, our our current society and world, really, but we're going to focus on the U.S. context, um, the the fact that that people are being so brazen and open and free to share, we cannot we cannot assume that they will not take it to the limit because they've done it before. So in the in the in the series, we're asking the question: Can it happen here? If America. If America becomes a failed state, which we are well on our way, we, it is being executed now. When you think about the reproductive, the uh, anti-abortion, anti-vaxxers, white people who are anti-everything but white people. The voters, the voter suppression. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. Well, uh, well, we uh, look this, forward this to Jace. having you each week to bring us up to date. Uh, yeah. But we we do want you to know that we've invited some real heavy hitters. Uh, Dr. Ruth Ben Giat will be with us. She is an expert on failed states and fascism. Uh, we've invited a number of people. We've invited the author of Cast. Is uh, Isabel Wilkerson So we hope that you mm-hmm. will join us Michelle, thank you for joining us And every week we're going to have a little Session about where we are It's If America okay. Fails uh, If you want to check it out 
If America Sales, uh, Michelle has put together a wonderful website. It's ifamericasales.wordpress.com. Yeah, come hang out with me. Yeah, go hang out with Michelle. I hang out with her every day. Um, And don't forget, tomorrow night, uh, abolitiontoday.org here at Blog Talk Radio. Michelle, thank you so very much, and thank you for all the hard work, Uh, beautiful, awesome work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Uh, And for those of you, uh, we hope that you will join us. We'll see you next week because, as they say, I ain't never gone. I'm just going to always be here at Our Common Ground. It is the truth sanctuary. Thanks to Matt, Max Parthas and Youssef Hassan for being with us. And for those of you in our chat room, thank you as well. I came home May 2nd, May 3rd of 1972 was my new birth. I grew up in prison, and so going outside, it was kind of like going to the moon. My mother passed away. My father wasn't doing too well. So as a result of that, I actually started thinking about coming to Fortune. I knew about the castle. I knew that it was a safe place. When I first left prison, I heavily felt the stigma of having been incarcerated. Um, even things like thinking about a job and a three-year gap on your resume and saying, like, how do I explain this three-year gap? I applied to the teacher position at Fortune, and so I came back to Fortune as a teacher. So the radius, therefore... We have a lot of formerly incarcerated individuals that understand the needs of individuals coming home from out of prison showing up to let people know that we did it, but if we can do it, you can do it as well. Your options. I taught a youth class, and a lot of them saw themselves the way they were portrayed by society. I'll never be more than a criminal, or I'm a thug, and that's what it is. So the first time I shared that I was formerly incarcerated, everyone was like, you're lying, like they don't believe you, and I said, well, why not? Well, you don't look like a person that's formally incarcerated. You don't speak like a person that's formally incarcerated. You just gave me the answer, right? But at the end of the day, like, your life is what you make it. You weren't defined by kind of this one mistake. And a lot of them saw themselves the way they were portrayed by society. I'll never be more than a criminal, or I'm a thug, and that's what it is. I refuse to let my story end where he was a good kid. Rather than say change the world with a kid from the hood. Thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. We'll be here each Saturday, 10 p.m. This is the Truth Sanctuary. I'm Janice Grant, and I'll be listening for you. I will stand my ground.
This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. We are men. We are not beasts, and we do not intend to be beaten. Or What happened in 19... Well, let's go back to the mid-60s where you had, hell no, we won't go. Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. And those was the cliches that remind, that told people they wasn't going to Vietnam or before an unjust war. And say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud was racial identity among black people. And when the combination uh, entered prison, when, when the time I did, this is basically the attitude that was prevalent in Attica at that time. And there was a lot of antagonism. You know, you asked about the four days. It's not, it wasn't just the four days. It was everything that built up to those four days.